Well, greetings, people of God. Every day, people of God, as we're calling this sermon series, we're considering together what does it mean that how God has called us to be his people everywhere. And we're using these graphics up behind me as illustration. This one over here represents the church gathered as we are right now. And, and again, Jesus says we need to do this. And we, uh, good things happen when we gather to worship him and to learn together and equip together. But we live most of our lives, at least in terms of the time of our lives, we, we spend it out as the church scattered in, in the world around us, at work, at home, in your neighborhoods, in your schools, and wherever you, where, wherever you are. But we are, we are God's people no less when we scatter than we are God's people when we gather. And these two ideas are interdependent, that our gathered time informs our scattered time, and as we scatter, we gather back together. It's, it, they flow one from another, but they are very different from one another in many ways. And for this season, as we are preaching through this series, we are considering and focusing primarily on what does it look like and how are we equipped to be God's people as we scatter about in the different places we go. To do that, we are focusing in on the the biblical book, 1 Peter, which is a letter written by the Apostle Peter. And he, he wrote it to a group of Christians who are scattered about in different areas. And they were facing difficulties because of their faith. It was bad for them. It was going to get a lot worse in the near future. And he's writing to encourage them and to equip them. Today, our topic is about having joy in the midst of suffering. Suffering, when we think about being the scattered church, suffering is a nearly universal experience. So that we experience suffering and the world around us does experience suffering, whether it's something specific, a specific challenge or an illness or a a brokenness or just the general suffering and the decay of life, which leads to human death that is, from a human perspective, inescapable. So we share suffering with the world around us and the way that we suffer says a lot about what we believe. And the way that we help other people in their suffering is is a huge part of what it means to be God's people out in the world today. Now, different people in the world and different worldviews and different religious views would explain suffering in different ways. Uh, In in a Buddhist worldview, suffering, they would say all of life is suffering. That's a main tenet of Buddhism. And suffering is because of attachment and the the hope is to detach and, and not have these attachments to, these world, to the world around us that is creating suffering within you, to be released from that, to, to have an, a, a mental and spiritual state that is, is released from those things so that suffering isn't something you experience, you, you rise above it. In Hinduism, suffering is a result of, of karma. It's, it's about bad things coming to where it belongs and good going to where it belongs, you get what's coming to you. In Hinduism, you wouldn't be encouraged to fight against suffering in any way. You just embrace it because you somehow earned it, whether in this life or in a past life, and just do what you can and maybe do better next time. In Islam, suffering is result of a a judgment of a sovereign God. For non-believers, suffering is it's random. It's, it's, it's dumb luck. It's bad luck. 
And maybe, maybe you brought it on yourself in some ways, but you just try to avoid suffering as you can and just hope that it doesn't hit you. And Christianity is unique in our view of suffering. As Christians, we believe that suffering is a result of human sin. Not necessarily your sin, certainly that, but the sin of the world and the brokenness of the world around us because humans have strayed from God's way. Sin has entered the world and corrupted the world. And that suffering that's a result of sin does lead to death, an ultimate death. But in the Christian worldview, suffering, God also uses suffering to save the world. That Jesus, God the Son, enters the world and becomes the ultimate victim of suffering. Takes our suffering on himself on the cross and and in doing that can save us from sin and death. That God's grace is extended in the midst of suffering and that that is unique to Christianity. The reality of our lives is not that we have it all together as Christians, so that when we scatter about the different places that people see how wonderful our lives are, but our lives are filled with faith. And our lives, because of Jesus, can be filled with joy in the midst of all kinds of suffering. And that's unusual. And it doesn't make sense all the time. It certainly doesn't make sense to the unbelieving world how you could have a deep and abiding joy in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering. And it's not easy, but we can have this everyday joy, as we're calling this message. Could have easily called this message everyday suffering. But we have another sermon coming up called Everyday Suffering. So we're going <laughs> to... Uh, we're going to continue because this is a, uh, it's a broad topic. It's a very heavy topic, but we can have joy in the midst of it. And that's our prayer today. So let me, let me pray for us as we jump into this. So Father God, we come before you seeing that this is a heavy topic. So we just humbly ask you to be gracious with us as we consider this. As we think about suffering, Lord, there are those in this room who will be reminded of just very difficult and traumatic experiences of life. Struggles and sicknesses that are going on even right now, Lord. So we need, we need you to be gentle with us and we need you to be our teacher. But speak truth to us, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you give me words to speak that are both true and gracious. So we give this time to you. We give ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, three reasons we can have joy in the midst of suffering. The first reason is this. We can have joy in the midst of suffering because our hope is secure. We see this right away in verses 3 through 6. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. And I don't know if you're inclined to underline in your Bible or circle things. But if you are, and in my Bible and in my notes here, living hope, you underline that. Because living hope is different than the hope as most of the world knows it. Most of the world has a fading hope, temporary hope. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we have a living hope. Most hope, as the world understands it, is fading hope. And you may have experienced fading hope in your life. I've experienced fading hope. There's things that we hope for. And as we 
grow in life, as we move along the journey of life, we end up kind of crossing things off our hope list. Like my hope to be a, a rock star. Okay, so I say it. So I had, there was hope as a, thank you for chuckling, because there was hope that, hey, if I, if I get with the right guys, I, and, and I you know, keep working on this craft, and we get connected, we could play clubs and, and just be rock stars, and that would be great. And we'd be the next you know, greatest grunge band to come out of southern New Hampshire, you know, <laughs> the 1990s. It, it didn't pan out that way. Cross that off. I am also, the, I was born the same year as Tom Brady. He's an excellent athlete. I too could be an excellent athlete, perhaps a professional athlete or an Olympian. And, and there's great hope for those things as you're growing up. Even into my 30s, I thought, you know, if I could learn to throw a knuckleball, and if I could just perfect it, it would really dance in the strike zone, I could maybe even just get a season or maybe just a game in, the major, in Major League Baseball. That's kind of a little hope, a little glimmer of hope. And that, you know, cross that one off. Or there's a hope to be successful or a hope to be very wealthy. And, and over time, we, we tend to, these hopes fade in life. But the hope we have in Jesus never fades. This living hope, it lives and it becomes more alive as we, as we go into life. Therefore, we don't have to have midlife crises and Try to find new hopes to, to fulfill because other ones weren't unfulfilled. We don't have to try to put all of our hope into things like, things like the Powerball. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But my guess is that there are some of you this week who have played in your own minds the scenario, what if I won? What would I do with that? How would I be generous? What would I take care of? What would I do? And, and my guess is that gave you a little bit of hope. Now, I, that hope is dead <laughs> for you. I'll say this. The, thinking about hope. If, if your hope is to get wealthy, this is what Scripture says. This is 1 Timothy 6.9. People who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. A desire to get rich and a desire to get rich, having any hope in getting rich quickly, Scripture says is spiritual suicide. It's bad for your soul to even play that, to even play that out. So I encourage you, don't even buy these lottery tickets, which, as a state-sponsored fundraiser, preys on poor people. It, it's, it's people who are high-functioning and, okay, I've got a couple bucks for a ticket and, and I'm, it's not, you know, you have extra money. They don't make any money off of you. They make money off people who don't have those extra $2 to spend. That's why the poorest communities in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have the highest lottery ticket, scratch ticket sales. It's a predatory product that our our state uses to, as a fundraiser. I don't like it. But I want to, what I want to hit on is the, this hope. Wealth gives us, these things give us hope and it fades. And for you, it faded with the Powerball. If it didn't, if for whatever reason you are holding some kind of ticket on that, just let's talk after the service. <laughs> we can help you. Um, 
But here's the hope that we have. Verse 4. We have a hope and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Or as one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture puts it very well, Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is living hope. That is a real hope. And it's not built on our little efforts, our puny little efforts. Verse 5, look, it's, it's rooted in, the, in God's power. We are shielded by God's power. Therefore, because it is alive and it is certain and God is protecting it, we can have joy in the midst of anything else that we face in life. It is secure. That's very different than happiness. The joy that we can have. The joy that we can have in Jesus Christ is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on things going well. It's not temporary happiness or any kind of fleeting hope. It is a deep abiding joy that the Spirit of God produces in us as we trust Him, as we put our faith in God and what He's accomplished for us. And our life is very short. Psalm 90 puts it like this. The length of our days is 70 years. Or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. I said, look, you could could live an average human life, 70 years, into your 80s and beyond for some people. God bless you if you're strong. But but life is, there is trouble in life. And we spend so much time focusing on trying to alleviate suffering and trouble and and get our eyes off of this great future hope that we have. I illustrate it like this. Say there's uh, storms across the country and it's canceling flights and things are busy and you don't like to travel anyway, but there's a family emergency and you've got to get to L.A. from Boston. So you go to the ticket counter and say, look, is there any way you can get me to L.A. today? And, And the ticket person says, Actually, yeah, I have a seat on a flight. It's leaving shortly, and there's been some weather. It it might be a little bit of a turbulent flight, but listen, you've got probably the best pilot, best trained pilots in the world on our airline. These airplanes are inspected, state-of-the-art. They've gone through rigorous testing. We will get you to L.A., and and you will land, and we'll get you there safe, but it'll be a little little bit of turbulence, but you'll be good. And you say, ooh, turbulence? I don't like the sound of that. Wait here a second. I'm going to go check out the other ticket counter. (laughs) So you go to the other ticket counter and say, hey, can you, um, do you have any smooth flights to L.A.? Because I really got to get out there today. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We've got a route for you. We've got a seat on a plane. And it's the smoothest flight. It's going to be perfect as you fly. The landing, however... Uh, we're not so sure about Our planes are a little rickety, and we haven't really checked the landing gear. If it comes down, you'd probably be okay most of the time. But man, our pilots are flaky. And they've, been, they've had this propensity for kind of coming in nose first a little too much. But, but man, what it's smooth flight right across the country. You're not going to buy that ticket. You would never buy that ticket. I'll go with the ones who tell me you're going to land. 
even if it's a little bumpy. Yet, in life, we buy that ticket. We're just, I'm not sure where this plane's going to land, but as long as it's smooth right now, that's what I'm looking for. That's very temporary. But in Jesus Christ, we can have joy in the midst of turbulence, joy in the midst of suffering, because our landing is secure. Second thing. We can have joy in the midst of suffering because it helps us exercise our faith. We see this in verse 7. These trials, these sufferings, these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that the genuine, genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, people can go through amazing trials and suffering in their life with Jesus Christ. And it, it not only gives us an opportunity to exercise faith in a God who knows what he's doing in the midst of our suffering, it, it strengthens our faith. It grows faith. You could have faith in God and not have any troubles in life. And what kind of faith is that? But if you have faith that survives the testing and, and the, the challenge that comes, that God is using that to, to extend our faith, to let us exercise our faith, and he gets glory as we, he gets praised. That's the extension of our faith as we go through these things. Now, it's important to remember that there's different types of suffering. The suffering that the recipients of this letter received is they face some horrible things, some of them. And different generations of Christians have suffered in different ways. Pastor Tim Keller wrote a book just over a year ago. It was entitled Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's a great resource. If, you're, if you are suffering or if you have a friend or somebody you know, a family member who is going through a difficulty. It's a very useful book. I recommend it. But he describes four different types of suffering that we see in Scripture. The first is suffering because of your own fault or your own sin. We see that in the lives of biblical people like David or Jonah, who turned from God's ways, who ran from God, who were sinful, and they suffered because of it. But the second type of, of suffering we see is the suffering of betrayal. It's not suffering because you've done something wrong. It's suffering for doing the right thing. We see the prophet Jeremiah who suffered and was outcast because of his obedience. Somebody like the Apostle Paul who had all kinds of troubles and, and trials in his life because of accepting God's call in his life. The third type of suffering is the suffering of loss. We see this in Scripture in the lives of Mary and Martha, whose brother died, and their torment and their tears. And this is a very universal type of suffering that we see in the world, the suffering of death. But there's also the type of suffering which, which Keller would call the, the suffering of mystery, or just mysterious suffering, that suffering that doesn't make sense, but yet we have faith that God has a greater plan and purpose for it. The clearest biblical example of that would be the book of Job, where Job is suffering and God has a, a purpose and a plan for it, but it's a difficult to see. Regardless of why you're suffering, and 
There are reasons why we can have joy in the midst of suffering. I'm not up here telling you it's easy. I'm up here telling you it's possible. And that all the different ways that people have suffered, that we've seen people with their faith grow through it. Faith that they would have never had on the other side of, of suffering before it, it came to be. But God is using it to grow and to refine our faith. That's the second thing. Third thing, we can have joy in the midst of suffering because we are experiencing the salvation of our souls. We see this in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That our faith in Jesus, even though we don't see him, produces this joy because, verse 9, for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Even though you don't see Jesus, we, this faith can fill us with joy. Uh, there's a great, I found a great quote by Napoleon. Napoleon said this once. He said, Alexander and Caesar and Charlemagne and I have founded great empires. I have inspired multitudes with such enthusiastic devotion that they would have died for me. But to do this, it was necessary that I should be visibly present with them, present with the electric influence of my looks and my words and my voice. And when I saw men, I spoke to them. I lighted up the flame of self-devotion in their hearts. Christ alone has succeeded in so raising the mind of man towards the unseen that it becomes insensible to the, to the barriers of time and space. He's saying, look, I, he's, Napoleon's saying, look, I'm a great leader, and so are these other guys. I know a thing or two about people and about devotion, but I have to be there to inspire them. Jesus, for 1,800 years, has been doing that, and he's not even present, that he's doing something that people are coming alive by the Spirit of Christ. And this is causing such a great devotion and faith. And here, as we experience Christ, it, we experience his salvation. And therefore, we can have great, as it says here, inexpressible and glorious joy. And it's connected, we see in verse 11, to the suffering, the suffering of the Messiah. Suffering was necessary for our salvation. So that when we suffer, we are connected to our salvation in a different way. That is, Jesus, again, God isn't just, out, we, we don't just sit here and suffer and God is just out there somewhere, but God takes on human flesh and walks with us and becomes the victim of suffering. Takes our sin and brokenness on himself on the cross and puts it to death on the cross becomes the victim of suffering. He rises again to defeat, the, to defeat death, which is the ultimate extension of suffering, physical and spiritual death. Jesus is victorious over all of that. And that's how we are saved, by faith in what he's done. He did that in our place. So that when we, when we suffer, we understand what Jesus went through, in, even in a small way. The early Christians understood this. When they were martyred and when they were abused and imprisoned, they considered it an opera, a, a, 
They considered it a great opportunity that God considered them worthy to be able to do that. It was a privilege to suffer. In Acts chapter 5, there was the apostles, they had just been imprisoned and flogged and they were uh, on trial. Acts 5.41 says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. It's like God thought I was good enough to suffer for him. And he suffered for me. And I can connect with that in a different way because I myself am suffering. And there's great joy that is available to us because of that. And we, as we put our faith in that, we experience this salvation. And I talk about the tenses, tenses of salvation. Past, present, and future. Meaning we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Or the theological words would be justification, sanctification, glorification. That God has declared me righteous. He has saved me from my sin. He's not counting me as a sinner. He's counting me as his child, forgiven and free. So I am saved. But I'm being saved. I'm being sanctified. I'm being transformed. I'm being made to look like Jesus. I'm, I'm experiencing that. And I will ultimately be saved. That I will be perfected and glorified and in God's presence forever. And I experience this through faith. And I can have joy because I experience the presence and the power of Christ in my life. So no matter what I face, I can have joy. We can have joy in the midst of suffering because our hope is secure, living hope. We are growing in faith and we are experiencing the salvation of our souls. So what do we do with this? There's a clue for us here in verse 12. This is... this. Part of the letter is describing the prophets who were searching by the Spirit of Christ this, that the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, who was Jesus, was to suffer. That it wasn't, as, they were, as this was being revealed to them, it wasn't just for them. It was for them to share with future generations of those who would have faith and experience Christ. For us, we have received this ability to have joy in the midst of suffering not just for ourselves and for our benefit, but for the benefit of the world around us, for the benefit of future generations of faith and people who might come to know this salvation. So when we scatter this time tomorrow and you're out and about wherever you'll be, you're going you're gonna to find suffering in two ways. You're either suffering yourself and broken and hurt, whether it's relational or physical or some kind of spiritual brokenness, how you find joy in the midst of that will speak volumes to the world around you because it's counterintuitive. It's found only in Jesus Christ. The other thing you're going to encounter, if it's not your own suffering, is somebody else's suffering. When you encounter somebody who is suffering, you now have an opportunity as a Christian, to walk alongside them. Not as a, a hero swooping in to fix people's problems. Not with just uh, trite spiritual sayings, you know, oh, everything's going to be fine and God will take care of it. And as true as some of those things can be, we're not there to offer just trite, superficial Christian advice. Just as Christ came and walked with us and took on suffering, we walk with people who are suffering side by side for the long haul. And that also speaks volumes of the God that we worship.
May we be people who truly find joy in the midst of suffering. Amen.